Um, we are in Jonah. We've been working through the book of Jonah. We're now in the last chapter, uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage to you? Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat un under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So Jonah had, for those of you who have missed the series, Jonah had tried to flee from God's presence when God called him to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was one of those cities that was an enemy of Israel. And they were barbaric. Their, their tactics of warfare um, produced psychological terror in their enemies. And so uh, Jonah decided to flee, booked a ship to Tarshish, and the storm that God sent came up he ends up getting uh, uh, by pagan sailors. He's determined to be the cause of the storm. And so Jonah says, well, the only way to stop it is throw me in the sea. He gets thrown into the sea, and God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah there in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. He, chapter 2 is his prayer to God. It uh, sounds to me like it was at the end of those three days and three nights that he finally gave in and said, okay, God, you win. Um, you are who you said you are, and you are sovereign over all things, and so I give up. It, it sounds like he's at, in fact, he describes it as being at death's door. So, you know, sometimes God has to bring us to the very bottom before we finally surrender. But when he does, he is vomited up on the shore, uh, somewhere where he can go from there to Nineveh. He, it, wherever he was vomited up, it would be hundreds of miles on foot. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Um, it was a great nation at the time. And he was to declare that 40 days and Nineveh would be destroyed. And when he did, the people repented, and God relented of the judgment that he had threatened to bring down on them. And that's where we start right now, verse 1, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. First time a preacher got upset because people heard the message. <laughs> It starts with but, and th this word comes up a couple times in the book of Jonah. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 3, God called Jonah, but Jonah books the ship. And now God relents on the disaster he planned for the Ninevites, but Jonah is mad. 
he rose to flee to Tarshish. Now he's upset because they heard the message and repented. But, but, that word reminds me of what goats do, right? They butt with their heads. They butt each other. And goats in scripture are uh, representative of evil, right? Uh, his sheep go on the right hand, the goats on the left, right? So Jonah is trying to butt heads with God. And that is a losing proposition. Don't try that. It's like those little uh, subtitles to, uh, on commercials, right? Don't try this at home. <laughs> You would think that Jonah would be different after those three days in, in the fish belly and that wonderful prayer that he prayed in chapter two where it sounds like he completely submitted to God to whatever God was going to do. And didn't he pray that those that uh, about those who forsake the steadfast love of God were, were cursed, but those who accept that steadfast love and he embraced it and did it not declare salvation belongs to the Lord? But now when he sees it applies to his enemies, he's exceedingly displeased. The Hebrew is even more telling of Jonah's attitude. It literally reads, but it was evil to Jonah with great evil. In other words, the term evil, ra'ah, which has been repeatedly applied to the Ninevites so far in the book of Jonah, now characterizes the prophet. By objecting to the character and actions of God, Jonah has effectively put himself out of fellowship with God as an evil and ignorant heathen. But God showed him the same compassion as he showed the Ninevites. There's a play on words here with that root ra'ah, which can refer to wickedness on the one hand or to disaster and trouble or misery as it is here. The evil that was characteristic of the people of Nineveh here describes the prophet of God. Did Jonah realize how merciful God was being towards his attitude? Have you ever been upset with God? Angry with what God allowed in your life? And did you realize how patient God was being with you? Our old nature is almost always opposed to what God has ordained. And that's when we get angry and we complain and we fixate on our displeasure with what God has allowed in our lives. And we take our eyes off of the goodness bestowed on us and we start to become ungrateful, which only makes things worse. It's like digging our pit even deeper. While we should be trusting in God's love for us and trying to see the good that could come out of our situation. And we miss the lessons that God's trying to show us that are always for our good. And we all have that old nature with its goat-like tendency to butt against the will of God, call it the Adamic nature or the sin nature of flesh. It seems to always want something other than the will of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to the other to keep you from doing the things God wants you to do. 
One minute you think you've mastered it and surrendered to God's will, and the next you find yourself playing the goat. But, but, who shall deliver us from this body of death, the apostle asks, and he answers his own question, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This chapter is about delivering Jonah from his fleshly mindset. Paul tells us Jesus can deliver us if we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. It's a continual choice, and Jesus will help us if we let him and yield to him. Sometimes that help comes in a form of something that displeases us, that opens our eyes to our own selfishness. That's what Jonah experiences later in this chapter. Verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In Jonah's prayer here, he revealed how selfish he is by using the word I or my nine times in the original language. When we're upset with God, it's usually due to a self-centered attitude. Jonah's complaining because God's goodness was applied to his enemies. As he, if somehow he alone deserved God's favor. In the prayer, he reveals one of those reasons that he fled. Jonah didn't want to see the evil people of Nineveh repent, he, but he knew the nature of God and he feared the enemy of Israel would be more responsive to God than Israel was. And his fear was well-founded. God was going to use the Assyrian Empire to judge the northern tribes and take them into captivity, just as God declared would happen to Israel if they refused to obey his commands. Jonah's description of God's nature is almost identical to Joel chapter 2, verse 13, where Joel wrote, And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. It's also similar to God's self-disclosure in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God would rather see us repent so he can show mercy on us. James tells us, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. When we are unmerciful to others, we invite the same toward ourselves. What a blessing it is to know that this description is the heart of God, the God who created us and all things. He is abounding in steadfast love. This expression in Jonah 4.2 is the eighth time it's repeated in Scripture that God abounds in steadfast love. 
could we dream of a better God? We want a God who's just, but we want mercy to prevail when we truly repent. And that is our God. We want steadfast love to abound toward us. We all desire to be loved, not just a fickle love that loves when, we, when it gets what it wants, but to be loved with a steadfast love that's patient with us. I was just li listening to this uh, song, a newer song called Gyra, and, and this one line in the song just grabbed my heart. I can never be more loved than I am right now. That's because God's love for us is based on Jesus' righteousness. You can never be more loved than you are right now. That's hard for me to really take hold of in my heart. I understand it theologically, but my heart has a hard time accepting the wonder of that truth. Through scripture, though scripture declares that God loves the world, the Jews seem to have a hard time accepting the fact that God loved the Gentiles, the pagans. Jonah had a really hard time, as we see in the next verse. He wanted the grace of God upon him when he came to his senses in the belly of the fish, but he didn't want the Ninevites to experience the same grace. That's a dangerous attitude. Jesus said that the measure we use towards others is the same measure that we will receive. If we dish out just a gram of mercy and refuse to give any more to those who offend us, we're asking God to do the same to us. That scares me to the core, for I know I need a lot of mercy. Are you upset because someone's not maturing in Christ as fast as you think they should? Take a look in the mirror. You're asking Jesus to be that way towards you. Verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it's better me, to me to die than to live. <laughs> I have to laugh because I can relate to that. Jonah was upset because God had given the message through him that saved the enemies of Israel. This is another example of Jonah being the opposite of Jesus. We showed the times when it was like Jesus and prefigured Christ, but we also see those times when it's so opposite of Christ. For Jesus endured the cross to save us, which was the joy set before him. Jonah wanted God to play favorites, but that would mean his nature was inconsistent. He was so disappointed at the grace shown to the Ninevites that he wanted to die. Jonah used words very similar to those that Elijah used. Elijah reacted the same way when Jezebel threatened to kill, have him killed. He'd just seen this great victory over the priests of Baal, but Israel was not repenting, and that disappointed him. With Jonah, it was just the opposite. He was upset because those to whom he preached did repent. Sometimes we go from these heights of uh, spiritual ecstasy or we have special communion with the Lord and it, 
and it's life is wonderful and we just we just feel so high those holy spirit highs those mountaintop experiences but then we plunge to great depths depression can afflict even the best of saints the prince of preachers charles haddon spurgeon struggled with depression we have everything to be thankful for in the love of God for us, but we get our eyes on our circumstances and forget the most important thing. Our disappointments overwhelm our souls, and we have a difficult time taking our eyes off of them. We have a pity party where we just mull over those things that aren't like we think they should be, things that didn't go according to our plan. But we must remember God is sovereign and that we could not be any more loved than we are right now. That means the circumstances, as difficult as they can be, are not to harm us but to bless us if we can see from God's perspective. We may not understand it at the moment. We usually don't. But we're to walk by faith and not by sight. We must trust the one who holds our destiny. Here we see how bad theology may also lead to despair. If the Israelites hadn't such a limited understanding of their God, an understanding that among other things tied together much too closely faith in God and social, political, economic prosperity, they would have been better enabled to cope with the realities of life. It's a quote from Smith and Page. And they make an important point here that we should heed. Our faith should never be tied too closely to our society, our politics, or the state of our economy. If it is, the rude realities of life will have us thinking our faith has failed us, and that leads to depression. Verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? After all the grace bestowed after Jonah's effort to flee from God and now his complaint against God's wonderful nature, you would think God would just say, okay, you want to die? You're dead. But as Jonah declared, God is slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in steadfast love. God oftenly confronts our waywardness with a question to have us do some self-reflection. Do you do well to, do, to be angry? We should ask ourselves that every time we become angry. God asked the first couple, where are you? And who told you you were naked? Those questions are meant to convict us if we'll be honest with ourselves. God asked Cain, where's your brother? And only after he rejected conviction did God ask, what is this that you have done? Same question the mariners asked Jonah when he was fleeing. You'll notice that Jonah did not answer the question, and that's because it was more like a statement of shock. What is this you have done? God's going to ask him again under different circumstances if he does well to be angry. It seems that like Cain, Jonah 
did not at first receive the conviction from the question. He clung to his anger and hoped that God would still somehow destroy the city. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So Jonah leaves the city. When he saw their repentance, you might think he would be encouraged to tell them more about the God of Abraham who came from that very area. Why not use the connection point to tell them about the steadfast love of God? But Jonah's not happy about their repentance, which is kind of hard for us to understand. At the time, Jews saw faith in God as connected to the land and to the government. They had a difficult time thinking God would give favor to any other people group. It reminds me of an old joke about a man who arrived in heaven and he saw a great wall. And he asked Angel, why is that wall there? The angel said, well, the people on the other side are from a denomination that doesn't think anyone else can get here. Their attitude was similar to Jonathan Swift's poem. We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There's no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. Other nations were either allied with Israel, subservient to Israel, or were an enemy of Israel. And Assyria was an enemy. Jonah saw their repentance as a threat to Israel. He knew the northern tribes of Israel needed to repent, but would not. And perhaps he was looking forward to the annihilation of Assyria as a way to bring the tribes back to faith in God. He certainly didn't want to return to tell them his message had spared their main enemy from the wrath of God. Sometimes we think that we know what God wants us to do or what God's doing in the world around us. We create a scenario in our minds that kind of makes us out to be a, a special part in that plan. But then when God does something different, no matter how wonderful, and we get no credit, we are displeased. Jonah may have even seen this as a humiliation. Jonah seems unsure if grace is God's final word, so he seems he's still hoping for fire and brimstone as he camps outside the city. Now that area of the world is a lot like Phoenix, Arizona. It's extremely hot. So he builds a little shelter with some sticks to get a little shade, a little what they call the booth. It's just sticks all leaned up together like a little teepee. And he gets inside it to get out of the blazing sun, but the sun still gets through the cracks and the wind still blows through that bone-soaking heat. You know, even when we see God acting in a way that was different from our imagined scenario, we can still hold out hope that what we thought was going to happen might still come about. This was where Jonah was determined to be. Come on, God, let's see the fireworks. Surely their repentance is insincere. And so he sits uncomfortable in the heat, thinking he's better and more deserving of grace than those Gentile Ninevites. Some of us may be sitting in our own booth uncomfortable in the environment where God has us, disappointed in what is happening. And God asks us, 
do you do well to be angry? Are you angry over your family, your spouse, your singleness, your job, your church, your health, or your current circumstances? Were you hoping for God to intervene in some dramatic way and he did not? God is sovereign and he knows exactly what each one of us needs. He never promised the road would be easy. In fact, Jesus calls following him denial of self and taking up a cross. He said in this world, we will have trouble. He never promised things would turn out like we hoped. Job asked if we should receive good from God and not trouble. God works with the choices we make, and many of those choices determined our present circumstances. Nevertheless, God is there with us, seeing us through it. He's using it all for our good. Even in great difficulty, know that you have never been more loved than you are right now. Jonah certainly did not realize that what God was taking him through was about God's great love for him as much as it was about his love for the Ninevites. Your story is about God's great love for you. Jonah could not look at the cross. It hadn't taken place yet. He couldn't declare the cross as a great demonstration of the love that God has for the world but you and I can. We can face the difficulties of life knowing he's with us, working all things together for our good because we live on this side of the cross. We can give him thanks in every situation. We can count it all joy when we fall into various trials, or we can sit uncomfortably in our little booths hoping for a miracle that will never come because God is doing something greater even though we don't understand it. God graciously lets us choose which it will be. It's a matter of trust and faith in who God is. We believe God or we don't. Jonah knew of God's steadfast love. He expected it to be poured out on the Ninevites. He just didn't want to be God, God to be gracious to his enemies. He didn't want to share God's steadfast love with those people. Do we want to share God's heart for the broken and wicked world around us? Remembering that the measure we use for others will be applied to us should make us generous in giving grace and mercy. And, then, and that comes from letting Jesus have his way in our hearts. Are you angry with God for something in your life, some past experience? You don't have to understand it, but you should never let it cause you to be angry with God. People have free will. We do hurtful things. If you're holding anger toward God this morning, learn from Jonah. Forgive because of God's love expressed to you because of his mercy poured out for you. Know that he feels your pain and he felt that pain you went through in that hard experience. Let it go. By his grace and his help, let it go and ask him to heal the hurt and to use it 
for his glory. He wants to because he loves you. You've never been more loved than you are right now. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song? Then I'll give the benediction.